It blew me away, actually. Doesn't God get enough? Why does he have to upset our little routine and lifestyle and, and we can't go to the shops on the Friday? Isn't that pathetic? Wow. But you know, the strange thing is, is that in a way he's right because God has upset our routine and our lifestyle. And, and it's right that we are upset in our routine on Good Friday because that is what Good Friday is all about. It's about a change to all things. It's about a, a radical reworking of, of all of creation is suddenly different because of this day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we are here because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the blood and the water that flowed mingling and mingled down. Lord, thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to come, not only to walk amongst us, not only to be one of us, but to die for us and to face our punishment for us. Amen. You know, when we think of Easter, we, we tend to get all somber and we, and we tend to get all reflective. And, and that's right, and, and we should. Good Friday is, is, is in many ways a, a sad occasion. The death of anyone is a sad occasion. Any one of us who has a loved one who has passed away knows that. But, but this is an even sadder occasion because the creator of all the universe has died and we are commemorating that death. But, but you know, as we've looked through John in these last few weeks at, at his version of, of the Easter story as Jesus is making his way towards the cross and the grave, there's a different emphasis here. You see, for John, Easter is not so much, well, Good Friday, let me say, is, is not so much a, a somber occasion only. It's an occasion of glory. And you'll notice that on the, the cross behind us, we have the usual colors. We've got the black sin. We've got the white that is, the sin is washed and by the blood. But, but we've got the purple as well because this morning, as we celebrate Good Friday, what we are looking at is the coronation of Jesus Christ as Lord and King of all creation. This is the day that we remember the kingdom of God starting to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus being lifted up for all to see. This is the King. And what a King. John tells us how Jesus, having been scourged and whipped and mocked and beaten by the soldiers, is made to carry a cross probably only the, the cross beam of the cross, but, but, but still a heavy weight. The other Gospels tell us that, that on the way he's, he's so bruised and battered that he cannot even carry that by himself. But says John, Jesus is the one who starts off and he takes this cross on his back and he goes to Golgotha. And in that video we heard the sound of being strapped to the cross and the nails being driven in. 
and they thought they were rid of him. They thought they were rid of him. And then we come to the strange thing that Pilate actually goes and writes. If we look at the original, it doesn't say Pilate said to somebody, go and write. It says Pilate wrote a sign and had it placed on top of that cross. You know, in fact, Roman tradition said that this sign, it was called a, a, a title, was the proper name for it, condemned prisoners on the way to execution would wear it around their neck. And then it would be put above their heads for all to read the crime that they had committed. And the sign was to say, it says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Why did Pilate write that sign? Last week, uh, if, we, if we look at, uh, at chapter 18 and, and the first half of chapter 19, it's, it's clear that, that, that Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. As far as Pilate is concerned, Jesus is not some upstart trying to overthrow Caesar. I wonder whether Pilate looked at these Jewish high priests who had brought Jesus to him and wrote this sign to just get at him. You know what, they, they were so upset this Jesus would claim to be the Son of God, would claim to be the King of all creation. And so Pilate says, right, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to write that he is the King of the Jews. And of course they're not happy. They're not at all happy. They go to him and say, Pilate, mate, don't put that. Say that he said he was the king. Small difference, but, 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 but this is insulting to us. That you would crucify and publicly say that you are crucifying our king. And Pilate, for once, has a bit of backbone and he says, no, no. <laughs> what I've written, I've written. You see, I... You know, reading through the story of Pilate, I, I get the impression that although, although he was the one who ultimately condemned Jesus to death, he had an inkling that there was more to this man. During the, the, the scene of the judgment, uh, I think it's the, the first half of chapter 19, Pilate asks Jesus and, and and, and Jesus says, well, you know, you say I'm a king, but my kingdom is of a different place. It's not from here. And, and Pilate goes out to the people and says, this man is innocent. And what do they say? They say, no, he claimed to be the son of God. And then we see Pilate going back inside to Jesus, and we are told that he was frightened. That he was unnerved by this. Pilate knew that there was more going on here than just some irritant to the Jewish high priests. He, he had an inkling that this was a great man, and, and yet he shut that inkling down. He, he shut the truth down. He said, I will do what I want to do. I will kill this Jesus because it will secure my position as governor, as praetor of this place. And so they executed Jesus. And yet, when he put that sign above Jesus' head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, 
I want to suggest that, that it was probably done to spite the Jewish high priests, but it was God's way. I love the way God works of announcing to the world, here is the king. And it says king of the Jews, but you know what's interesting about this sign? Pilate had it written, first of all, in Aramaic, then in Roman, then in Greek, Aramaic or or Hebrew, the language of the land. Roman, Latin, Latin rather than Roman, Latin, the language of the empire. Greek, the lingua franca, the, the, the language that everybody understood. Here is a sign announcing to the whole world, this is the king. This is the king of kings. And as people passed by, because we're told this Golgotha was was close to where people passed by, they would see this and they would see their king. In John chapter 10, round about verse 16, Jesus speaks about how he is the good shepherd and he says, I have sheep not of this fold, not of this nation of Israel. I have people from all over and I will make them one herd. And they will have one shepherd. One king for Israel, for Rome, for the whole world. One king. This is the coronation. This is the coronation. You know, the news is full at the moment of royal affairs and, well, not royal affairs, royal weddings. Um, Is it William? Sorry, I'm, I'm a Republican. I don't keep up with the royals. But isn't it amazing? We've got all this news about how they're getting married next Friday. and Ooh, this and that. and There's just so much of it in the news. And, and they're going to have the best of everything. Three months ago, I heard a report on uh, news radio about the wedding cake. They've been planning so long. It's going to be the best. Royalty gets the best. Royalty gets the cross. Royalty gets the cross. And he is royalty. You know that bit at the end where Joseph and Nicodemus go and take the body and put it in Joseph's grave and bring all those spices. You know, the amount of spices that they brought to put on Jesus' body is unheard of. It's the kind of amount you would use if you were anointing a, a king for burial. Like it's excessive, overly excessive. And Joseph and Nicodemus, these, these, these two men who are secret disciples of Jesus, at his death come out into the light and they say, surely this is the king and we will honor him as such. We will place him into a new grave. We will cover him with, with spices like, 
like we would any king. For he is royalty. He is God. Isaiah 53, which we read, said that that he would be amongst sinners. And he was surrounded by two terrorists on either side. Isaiah 53 verse 12 also says that he would sleep or that he would rest in a rich man's grave. And he does. The king is lifted up for the world to see. The other thing that I think John wants us to know is that this is not something that that happened by coincidence, by chance, by randomness. This This is long foretold. This is what God has been planning ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden rebelled and said no to God. This is God's yes. This is God saying, I will redeem. I will restore. I will bring you back. I will make a way for you to be right with me. I will come. Your king will come. And I will make the babies cry. And we've got this incident with the the clothes being gambled over. And the soldiers breaking up his outer clothing and his lovely woven inner garment, seamless, they, they throw dice for. And there is Jesus naked on that cross. Maybe a loincloth, if they were feeling generous. You know, I can't help but, but, but think back to the Garden of Eden. You know the story of, of Adam and Eve when they had sinned and rebelled and they'd eaten of the fruit. And, and what had happened, they, they realized they were naked. And they tried to cover up. And, and we've got the whole incident where God finds them and, and, and says, what have you done? And, and says, cursed is the land because of you. And, 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 this, and, and all these curses. But, but Genesis chapter 3, at the end there, we find this most amazing thing. Around about verse 14 where we're told that God made clothes for Adam and Eve in the garden before sending them out. Just the sign of God's grace and love and compassion. And here we have Golgotha, situated as it is in another garden. And and we see just the opposite at work. We see the descendants of Adam and Eve taking clothes off of God. And saying, you are not in charge. We will make the decisions. Don't try and give us stuff. We will take it. And again, it's God knew it was going to happen. And time moves on. It's hot under the sun. And we have Jesus. Just think about it. He says, I am thirsty. Ah, 
dry. You say, oh, that's a, uh, it's understandable, isn't it? He, he's been in the sun for, for quite a while. Of course he's getting thirsty. He's dehydrated. He's... But you know, there's more to it than that. I'm sure he was thirsty and dehydrated. But if you read through the book of John, from chapter 1 onwards, there's this, this emphasis on Jesus being the source of living water. Chapter 4, chapter 7. Jesus says to the woman at the well, he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. I am the source of living water, says Jesus. And here on the cross, the one who is the source of living water says, I thirst. How does that work? Surely it is because Jesus is pouring himself out for us. You know, John tells us, the other, the other gospels don't, but he tells us that when they give him that vinegar to drink, they put it on a, uh, on a, a, a stick of, what is it? Hyssop, hyssop. And they lift it to his mouth. When Moses established the first covenant with Israel, Hebrews 9 tells us this as well as as Exodus. He did it by water and by blood. And and he took a, a bunch of hyssop sticks. And he used that. When the Israelites left Egypt on the first Passover, they painted the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts with hyssop branches. John tells us a bit later that that when they came to check if Jesus was dead, they didn't break his bones. And he gives us a quote. He says, this is to fulfill scripture where it says not one of his bones was broken. Even that quotation goes back to the Passover where God said not a single bone of the Passover animal, of the Passover lamb, must be broken. You see, not only is Jesus the king coronated on this day, he is also the Passover lamb slain on this day so that we could be free. King and sacrifice. There's, There's this, how do you hold those two things in tension? How could anyone except God hold those two things in tension? And it's fantastic. Having moistened his throat, Jesus has one last thing to say. One word, don't get it in our, in our English, but one word, tetelestai. It is finished. It's done. Some of us read it and say, well, Jesus is on the cross and he's, 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 it's a cry of desperation. It's done. It's a cry of failure. It's done. It's a cry of, of just despair. It's done. No. 
As Jesus lies there on the cross, it is not a cry of despair. It's not a cry of desperation. It's a cry of victory. It's a cry of accomplishment. It is Jesus saying, now it is done. I am crowned as king. I have brought salvation to all who would come. He himself said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now it is done. Isn't it brilliant? And you know, I just love the way John speaks about Jesus' death because it isn't Jesus who, who succumbs to death. It isn't death that beats Jesus. John chapter 10, round about verse 16, Jesus says, no man will take my life from, from me. I will lay my own life down. And we see here, every single verb for Jesus is an active verb. It's something that Jesus does. And having said, it is finished, we are told that Jesus lowered his head and gave up his spirit. and gave up his spirit and said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus is not a victim. He's not a a victim of circumstance. He's not a victim of hateful men. He's not a victim of the Jewish high priests. He's not a victim of Pilate. He's not a victim of you and I. He is the victor over death, which we'll see on Sunday. He is the victor over sin. He is the one who came to fulfill God's mission. And he has. Tetelestai. It is done. Can I have a hallelujah, please? Yeah, absolutely. I I want you to remember that today. That just just that one word, it is done. Because you know it it is done just doesn't just mean that Jesus has finished his work. It means that it is done for you and I. What Jesus has accomplished on the cross has been accomplished for you and I. And when we maybe feel like, like, like we have gone too far and we are beyond God's grace, it is done, says Jesus. It's finished, it's accomplished. My friends, good Friday to you.